Ultra. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are blasting through Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Kestra Dorowski. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And today we are again joined by Andrew Hawthorne from No Time for Heroics. Hi, everybody. I'm back. Yes, you are. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're glad about it. I'm just so glad to be here, though. <laughs> Today we are discussing Minute 38, which begins with Flotsam and Jetsam finishing their line from before, saying a very serious problem. So oh. Ariel Ariel oh. has a very serious problem. A very serious problem. Like, it's oh, very throaty. Good. It's very yeah. throaty. Yeah, good job. Good, good job. So, yeah, uh, so they're, they're being voiced by Patty Edwards, hey? Who is, is a pretty uh, prolific voice actor. Uh, she was one of the fates in Hercules, which is also an eye-based character, which is weird. Yeah, like a like uh, a prophetic eye. Yeah, uh, she was uh, the werewolfy governess on an episode of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, which Kestra may uh, appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my personal favorite, she's Gozer from Ghostbusters. Is she the actress or just the voice? Just the voice. She's the voice okay. that says. Are you a god? <laughs> well, I have deta- I have notes about Patty Edwards, but we'll let let's, me, let's finish, finish the intro. Fill, finish the intro <laughs> oh, first. Sorry, <laughs> I was it's so okay. excited. It's okay. <laughs> Minute thirty-eight ends with Flotsam and Jetsam kicking over a piece of stone to Ariel, and this it 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 has or a face. is it stone? I, I'm, this is where I'm going to talk about okay, it. Okay, okay. And minute 38 of The Little Mermaid features Flotsam and Jetsam telling Ariel that they can help her dreams come true. Ariel tells Flotsam and, and Ariel telling Flotsam and Jetsam to leave her alone when she discovers that they are talking about Ursula, the sea witch, mm-hmm. who apparently can help her. Mm-hmm. Okay, before we get into it... Um, I did want to mention, Andrew, we are really enjoying having you on. We are sad that we don't have any of your co-hosts from No Time for Heroics because they notably have talked about how they love The Little Mermaid. It's one of the reasons I I reached out to you guys. And so I I am sad that we didn't get um, Anthony on. In particular, he said it was his favorite, right? He did, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, uh, it's his wife's birthday, so he has a very good excuse for not being on. But he does love Little Mermaid, and it's pretty great because uh, we did Robin Hood on our show, and uh, and he doesn't like Robin Hood at all. So I forced him to talk about that, and then I stole his opportunity to talk about Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were mentioning off air a little bit. You had a conversation with him about it before coming on. Yeah, he, uh, you know, he just really loves this movie, but I think it really spoke to a lot of us at that age. And there's just something about mermaids, particularly at that age, that uh, both of us found really appealing. Yeah, Uh, I think there's something like with the mythology of it all and the mystery. Like I I got really into like cryptozoology for a while. Thanks to the History Channel, I had a resource to like consume it. Because they had a lot of shows about Bigfoot and stuff. And I think this falls into that same category where you can get, just kind of get fascinated with the idea of this mysterious world. Yeah. And, and also when we were that age, Anthony and I were both old sea captains. And so we were often 
lured to a lee shore from the promise of a siren song. And uh, so this is kind of relating to it, you know? <laughs> um, you also mentioned that he feels this one's underappreciated as a film. It is. You know, the, the Little Mermaid, it's interesting now because at the time, uh, you know, if you, you have to think back, Disney is such a powerhouse now, it's hard to realize. But at the time, especially pre kind of the Michael Eisner uh, takeover, Disney was kind of in decline because it, it didn't really know what to do with itself after Walt Disney had passed away. And the Little Mermaid was that return to glory that that everybody was waiting for it's like this is it we are going to make the kind of movies you want disney to be making and make them really well and and it ushered in this new golden age that lasted for a few years um but for some reason little mermaid often gets left behind when we're talking about that golden age when we're talking about you know aladdin and and the lion king and uh or whatever you want to talk about um (laughs) But Little Mermaid, for some reason, doesn't feature in there as much, and 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 it should. It should be the first thing you talk about. Which is very interesting, because Ariel is one of the most merchandised ca- Disney characters ever. Yeah, like her, like visually, you know her colors instantly. Like you see Ariel merch, and you know it's Ariel merch. Uh, in a way that, like, Cinderella might have blue, but also some of the other princesses might have and blue. Other and other main characters, like yeah. like Alice in Wonderland has blue. Yeah, but you get the seafoam green, and like that is it. Like that is only Ariel. No one else merchandises with that seafoam green. Right. Yeah, and with with it not being like featured as much, I guess it it does have. There are several things that that kind of contrast with that, but I still feel I can still see how it's not prominent and not talked about as much and not uh, as loved, I mm-hmm. I guess. But I mean, like but, at the parks, they have abundant but, resources for Little Mermaid. Like yeah. you have you have the the ride at Magic, Magic Kingdom, Kingdom in Walt Disney World and, and you also and, have and, the show at Hollywood Studios. And the yes, there's the show at Hollywood Studios. There's the ride at at Magic Kingdom. It might be at Disneyland too. I can't remember exactly. I think uh, it is, but I'm but, not sure. But the ride at Magic Kingdom is in this part of New Fantasyland that is it's aerial themed. It's aerial and, and that's where you get the meet and greet and she's one of the people that like there's always going to be meet and greets with Ariel. Yes, and she has a part in the Festival of Fantasy parade. And well, how does that work? Do they just flop her down on a table or something? Like she can't wander <laughs> so around. I, I, so <laughs> I, it, I did not get to meet her on our last trip. We ran out oh. of time, and I was very sad. Yes, but we will meet her someday. We'll, we'll meet her eventually. But I, I, well, I we have could only met hope. Her. Okay, and she, it, it's kind of it, meeting her. I don't know exactly. But uh, how they change it, but I do know that when when Ariel has to take a break and then come back five minutes later, meaning change characters or change performers, friends of Ariel. Yes, (laughs) Ariel's friend needs to uh, change out. They they don't have any of the guests in the room, so they Mm -hmm. they block it off so no one can see how they do it. But in the parade... But, but, so she sits there and she's in mermaid form, right? Yes. 
So but you can meet so her. However, they have it occasionally um, in other places in as a human. Okay. Uh, but in the parade, she's on top of this big float, and that's a prominent position. Yes. So and and she's also a mermaid, but she's she, I I've been told that the the actress mm-hmm. is standing at, or or sitting on something and then like moves the, moves levers um to make her t- and it, the tail, tail is not flop. um so the tail is is like an attachment to the float yes so she's so literally part of this float <laughs> she's, she's tied in there um so like she's certainly like prominent in some ways so it is interesting that the film is kind of forgotten by some people when they talk about the Disney Renaissance and, and all these movies in the nineties. Cause as far as I'm concerned, I, I always counted it in there. Like, even though it's, it's like the only Renaissance film that wasn't in the nineties, I've always thought of it as like, yeah, that's like the chunk. You start with little mermaid and then you group the rest of it. But I do, I I do know people who they'll, they'll, they'll start talking about, the Disney Renaissance, except they won't say that because they're not Disney they're, they're not, people. They're not using the lexicon yes. of, of oh, this sorry. subculture. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the the Disney Renaissance is um, starting with Little Mermaid uh, through the nineties. Um, and it, uh, so for us, uh, I'll give you the breakdown as we've broken down the eras of Disney animation. Um, right. With the classics starting with Snow White and ending uh, with Sleeping Beauty, which is the last one that Walt was really involved with. Okay, and fair. then we. We call it the Dark Era, which is uh, 101 Dalmatians up to Little Mermaid. Um, so Oliver and Company. Oliver and Company is the last one. Except we're going to include we count Rescuers Re- Down Under. Rescuers Down Under, we count in there. And so that's where you yeah. get like the Don Blue stuff. It's mostly animal-focused films all through the, the Dark Era. It um, is, and, and all using the old uh, uh, mats for the, from earlier earlier pictures for that. Yeah, um, and the Xeroxing techniques and, and yeah. that sort of stuff. So it's... Like it, it, it's so clearly not touched by Walt's influence um, throughout se- through that section, and then you get the Renaissance, which is um, Little Mermaid uh, through ninety nine through Tarzan, and then you get like this weird kind of experimental hit or miss era, which we the call the experiment era, era. Yeah, yeah, which we're calling the experiment, which is two thousand to two thousand ten, and so, it's it, well ninety nine technically because of Fantasia, Fantasia two thousand because they're trying to do things that they had had success with before and also trying to do new things. And it's pretty hit or miss. Like you get dinosaur in there, but you also get Lilo and stitch and emperor's new groove and you get brother bear. And it's like, so I don't know, like, do, am I enjoying this? They're mostly not musicals. They're also playing with the, the computer. um, Yeah. Lilo and stitch though. I mean, you know, what positive or negative on Lilo and stitch. Uh Positive. It's okay. Be positive. That's that's what I thought. Hey, yeah, how like, can you say like, anything negative about Lilo and Stitch? <laughs> Lilo and Stitch and Emperor's New Groove are probably the strongest ones to come out of that. Atlantis is is you know on the positive that's, side that's, of that's that. A, it's a rough one though. It's a rough positive on. I wanted yeah, but, to like Atlantis, but it but it's no Home on the Range. Uh, fair. Okay. Yeah. Fine. So so when you've got like Home on the Range and Dinosaur and Chicken Little. Ooh, uh, yeah. as, as your contrast. But then there's also like Meet the Robinsons, which people speak very highly of. I have not actually seen it. Like a lot you of the what? stuff in the experiment I haven't I'm seen. I'm sorry, what? I saw it on you... a plane. It, it, that's not a bad film. Yeah. You it's haven't... Tomorrowland, for example. 
No, I haven't seen Meet the Robinsons because there's a lot of stuff. It, it, like, there's a gap in I, the no, experimental era where, how, like, people weren't going to go see Disney movies for sure in the theaters like they did during the Renaissance. Right, but no. how did I not know this? I'm married to you. I thought I mentioned it. Meet the Robinsons, like, is one of my family's We will good, watch it. We're like, going to discuss it Not sometime. favorite, but, like... <laughs> Go-to movies um, to watch. And, and then we say that the oh, yeah. the experiment ends with... We say it ends with Princess and the Frog, but you could argue that Princess and the Frog is part of the... the modern. The, the modern or, or second renaissance, some people call it, where you get Tangled and you get Frozen and you get Moana, where they're tapping back into the, the successful periods like the renaissance and the classics. Um, I think Princess and the Frog, I count it in the experiment because it was their last experiment with two-dimensional animation. Yeah. Uh, and they were trying to redo the princess thing without going 100% into it because they were doing it in semi-modern New Orleans. Um, and so I would say Tangled is the kind of the new renaissance or the modern era. But That's you their also friends on the other side, as it were. Yeah. It's a, it's a um, princess and the Frog joke. <laughs> um. And in the modern era, it's actually kind of two things going on at the same time, because you have the princess classic Disney feeling tangled, uh, frozen Moana stuff. You also have Big Hero 6 and Wreck-It Ralph. And Zootopia. And Zootopia. And so there's kind of two eras going on at the same time right now in the modern era, which is is not like the Renaissance at all. And those are movies that a uh, friend of my show, Ross Blotcher, all worked on. Uh, he, uh, the host of, one of the hosts of Ono, Ross and Carrie. And he's a Disney animator in his his main life. Uh, we talked to him in our Robin Hood episode, which is it's a good episode. It's very interesting. Like I really liked listening to that episode to get was, all of that background about Disney history. It's such a treasure to have him and Dale Bear, who worked also on Zootopia, but also Robin Hood and through the Dark Ages, as you said, on on those movies to to give a perspective of what it was like on the inside when everybody's working at Disney, people who'd worked all their lives to want to get to Disney. And now there's no Disney at Disney. And and what do you do? And and they just had to kind of make it work. Well, with Little Mermaid, they were talking about shutting down the animation department altogether. And they actually had to force the people who are working on Little Mermaid out of the Burbank studios. Yeah. Into a different environment. So, and they were in, and that's just the push they needed to get it right. Apparently. Uh, But which, which is why, I feel like people should should talk more about Little Mermaid. It's and, important. And yep. recognize it more as part of the Renaissance because without it, we probably like, wouldn't be no. here. We would not be doing this podcast. <laughs> yes, most likely. But uh, should we talk about Flotsam and Jetsam? Yeah, we should, we should get into Yay. this minute. Okay, this con that they are running is so paper thin. Where they say, it's like, if only there was something we can help. And the other one's like, but we can help. It's like, this is a really cheap con. Yeah, they're, they're kind of being good cop, bad cop on her. But uh, neither of them are they're the opposite of cops. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the voice um, who we mentioned. In, in, we mentioned in, earlier. In, earlier in the intro. Uh, Pat, Patty Edwards. She treated the voice a little bit. But she to to make this like throaty throaty thing but she also has a a very unique voice and it's also very raspy hmm. so it it she didn't have to treat it very much yeah they've got a who's who of raspy voiced uh, ladies in this in this <laughs> film and yeah 
And the animator of Flotsam and Jetsam is Sean Keller. Um, credit to so, the animators. We cred- like to give yes. credit to them. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, that's a really cool thing to do. Do, do you know the, the difference between Flotsam and Jetsam, the words? Um, I have only ever heard them used together. together so I, and they I, I don't mean know. useless or disregarded objects, but I don't know which means. Which. Yeah. Like, is, is there a unique uh, meaning well, to each one? Indeed. Before I was hosting uh, podcasts, I was writing comics. One of those comics was a naval history-themed comic called On the Bounty, which is still available at onthebounty.net, by the way. Um, but anyway, Flotsam and Jetsam are two kinds of, of nautical wreckage. Uh, flotsam is any floating debris, but Jetsam is debris that was intentionally thrown overboard. So say if your ship was sinking and you had to get rid of a lot of weight really quickly, so you dump the cannons and dump some of the cargo... That's jetsam. You've you've jettisoned some cargo. Okay. Um, so you gotta wonder if jetsam maybe has an inferiority complex because flotsam is floating, but jetsam no one wanted, and Aww. that's kind of sad. I don't I don't know which one is yeah, which. Yeah, which 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 like which one like because they they have opposite eyes. Um, so you could tell a difference between them, but I don't know what the difference is. Yeah, who is who? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that either. I don't, I don't think it ever comes up, really. They, yeah, I don't know. But they have been uh, mentioned as the darkest, as, as Disney's darkest henchmen, as well as darkest. some of the, um, like, few henchmen that are competent at a, and able like, to do they the do, things that they do. Yeah, they they are given assignments and they do execute those assignments fairly well all throughout the film. They're, they're no horse and, and, and yeah, they're not a Jasper and horse. What about the, like, the the Siamese cats and Lady and the Tramp? Oh, I guess they're not things. henchmen though. But I I see what you're saying. But they're and not they're, henchmen. They're not really henchmen. Uh, but if they were counted on that list, I think it'd probably be between the cats and Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah. yeah. I have notes about the eels that Flotsam and Jetsam are. Should All right. Yes. Now? Let's let's okay. get the marine biology minute. So they are green moray eels, mm-hmm. and they're they're green. Well, this was difficult because their color in the film is very different from the actual color of green moray eels. They're a little okay. underfed, I think. Yeah, <laughs> because the the green moray eels they have a greenish yellowish color, or they're brown ish, and this is caught. This is because that color is mucus that protects them from disease oh, and gross. parasites. And they like slither up on Ariel's back and mm-hmm. stuff. She's covered in their mucus now. That's, ah. that's too bad. They can their their average growth is six feet. Whoa, that's average? Thirty pounds. That's average. Mm-hmm. This is why I hate the sea, oh. by the way. They they can get up to eight feet and sixty five pounds. Okay, Flotsam and Jetsam seem like they're about three feet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so they're young, impressionable moray eels. Uh, they've, maybe they've maybe. been tempted by Ursula into a life of crime. Yeah, I guess. There, it's 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 a real like Oliver Twist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real Oliver and Company kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Green moray eels are typically found um, on coral reefs and rocky shorelines and in man-grown uh, waters hmm. that are less than 100 feet. 
but they do have a variety of of habitats as well. So they can get deeper, but that's where they typically spend their time. And they spend their time hiding in in rocky crevices and, and peeking their heads out. And it's kind of it's kind of creepy when you see it. It's yeah. unpleasant. Yeah, mores they, are not pleasant. Mm-mm, no. Uh, they So we actually got that yesterday with them peeking their heads. Yeah, it is very accurate as they kind of stick their heads out yeah. and examine. Yeah. Uh, the They are found in the West Atlantic Ocean from about New Jersey to all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea and south to Brazil. So not in our environment. But oh. they are also found in Eastern Atlantic, just around the Ascension Islands. Okay. But I don't know where that is. I, I tried looking. I couldn't. Yeah, I don't really. I don't know about those. But so maybe they could be near Denmark. What? Maybe. Whoa. Wait, are we near Denmark with this? That's what we settled on. We, and okay. that's what, we worked on it. That's what Disney canons have said they're, yeah. okay. they're part of Denmark. We, we settled on Denmark in the mid-1800s. That makes a certain amount of sense, but I might have a counter-argument for you coming up pretty shortly. Is it... Does it have anything to do with Sebastian speaking with a Caribbean accent? It, it does not, but that's, that's a good point. But now, uh, have you found that there's any kind of consistency to the species of marine life? Like, are these all in the same... Because Not especially flounder is like a, a finding Nemo kind of. He's he's a tropical he, fish. He's, he's fish. not a flounder. He's a tropical guppy. Yeah, so he's he's some sort of tropical guppy that they named it, flounder. It's an ironic name of some kind. Yeah, because he he was guppy number thirty five when Ariel first met him. Yep. And then oh, she wow. said, "What if I call you flounder?" <laughs> and he's that like, the "That's TV racist, show. but whatever." <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's a tropical fish, and he should definitely not be that far north. Mm-mm. No, definitely not. So, yeah, there's not especially any um, sort of consistency. And, uh, and we... Sebastian's, um, but red crabs aren't in that environment. Red crabs are um, in in warmer areas. And when we talked about under the sea, we... we there were so many fish. So many fish, and not very many of them are, were found in, or are typically found in the european or or even in like each other's environments like there were yes. so many fish and and a lot of them was like this is found in this type of area and this one's found in this entirely other type of area yeah well we have to assume as well i think that sebastian's accent is telling because he's the only one with one if they all spoke mm-hmm. like that maybe we could say oh you know they're supposed to be from jamaica but i think the fact that there are fish with accents uh, it kind of indicates that they're coming from other places to this place to, you know, serve in in Triton's court, perhaps. And uh, except we never see anyone else in that court. Yeah, it's just Sebastian. It's just Sebastian, <laughs> his most trusted advisor, his only advisor. I'm so alone. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't have a lot about like the meat of this minute. Most of my like my notes are about the statue face. <laughs> Can I go into that? Um, I've, I've got something just before that. I've got a little okay. note about the statue face. But so so they're like, hey, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of fun because Flotsam and Jetsam say, you know, we represent someone who can help you. They're kind of like lawyers or Ursula's <laughs> consigliaries, perhaps. Um, but when they mention her name, uh, she she is revolted and it's like, oh, the sea witch. And... 
it's it's interesting to me because the most prominent other mermaid pick of the 80s was Splash, which I mentioned in a previous minute. Um, and Splash had a sea witch in it as well, but it was cut entirely after they shot it. And and but it's the complete reverse story. In in Splash, Daryl Hannah's character Madison goes to uh, I think she's described as a sea hag to talk about oh I'm in love with a human. What do I do? And she says, okay, you know, like like I don't remember if she gives her magic. Or whatever, but she's like, you know, you do this and you're going to have legs. You're going to be able to go on, on land for a few days. But, like, these are the rules and you got to return after so many days and whatever. But she's a nice sea witch and ended up on the cutting room floor. So it's kind of nice that she's back in this one, except for now she's totally mean. Like, like nasty yeah. mean. <laughs> which, Ariel... You you say no, leave me alone. I don't. Yeah, I'm not like, going to this. Come on, Ariel. No. Like you, you stay have, with you, that. Stay with that like, notion. Like stick with your impulse. Leave me alone. I'm moping. <laughs> just if she had just stuck with her moping. And uh, going going with with all of Ursula's magic, she we've men, we've noticed before that she's able to see what through, Flotsam and Jetsam are seeing, and, Jetsam. and she's able to talk to them. Is she seeing and talking to them right now, telling them what to say? I think she probably trusts them to be able to competently execute this plan, so I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I, I think that, that she this is so key to her plan. I think Ursula is manipulating all of this as, as deftly as she can. She's got a tentacle and everything on this, so <laughs> I, I'd be careful. I'd be careful, Ariel. Ariel, don't do it. <laughs> she never listens. No, she does not. Can I talk about the statue now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I think that this statue was made of plaster of some kind, possibly hollow, which would explain why there wasn't so much debris left from it. Because the way the face broke, how smooth like the back portion and even the thickness of the remaining face chunk is, and when an eel like flicks it with their tail, it kind of floats through the water a bit in a way that like a rock's not going to go that far. It's a great sound, too. Yeah, and the sound, I'm like, that's kind of a plaster-like sound. That's not like a solid stone sound. So, I think that's fair. And and because we saw it float some when it fell off the boat, Ooh. which the commentary talks about it just being like an animation thing. We just wanted it to be shown again, and then it, and then it sank away. But I'm thinking that Grimsby is really cheap, and he got a plaster statue made of Eric, not a stone statue statue made of eric not a sculpture when was plaster created i did not research that but i am almost certain that they could have been doing something with well no they would have definitely had some types of plaster because um uh painting frescoes was painted straight into plaster okay so like the sistine chapel plaster has been used for quite a while uh i i think that doing but doing a plaster statue like this i don't know yeah, well, you know, uh, an interesting thing about statuary back in the day is, you know, so much of Roman statuary is just uh, copies of Greek statues that were done in bronze or in marble. And uh, and, and so, the, like, there, there were plaster copies of these kinds of things uh, back at this time. Um, a really interesting addendum to that is uh, a very similar thing happened in ancient Greece 
in, in what they call the Antikythiran wreck in the Mediterranean. All these statues oh. sank. Now, you've probably heard of it. because I've, 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 I've heard of that one because of the Antikythera mechanism. Exactly. This really cool ancient computer they found in this wreck. But the other thing they found in the wreck that's often displayed with the computer is um, uh, all these statues sank with the Antikythiran uh, uh, mechanism in this wreck. And they got half buried in the silt and sand and were recently raised up. And all of the area of it that's marble that was buried is perfectly pristine and white looking just like this statue. But everything that was exposed to the salt water for 2000 years, like really shriveled and melted away. And it created this really neat kind of mutant effect on all of these statues. If you can go and see them. It's really worth it. Now, plaster is water-based, so I don't know if it would just dissolve over time, would it not? Probably, but this has only been in the water for maybe a day. I agree. But what's so, cool about this this face is that, you know, it's so perfectly cut, all I could think is maybe Sebastian could put on a mean Greek tragedy with it using a mask, <laughs> you know? And, and he can just kind of, like, he can put a stick into the bottom of it and he can hold it around and be like... Yep. Oh, Antigone, you got to bury uh, me father, Creon. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, I, I, I think that would be very enjoyable. As just a little joke, he's trying to cheer up Ariel. And he's like, look, I took the statue thing. But I guess the statue was reconstructed by Triton later. That's very nice of him. <laughs> yeah, and probably really difficult. Now imagine but, playing all those little bits. Yeah, I am I am going to move forward with my theory that it was not a solid sculpture but instead a plaster statue that Grimsby cheaply commissioned. Even though he says a very expensive. Well, not as expensive as a marble statue apparently. He's just trying to impress him. Yeah, Grimsby is we we had a whole discussion about Grimsby when the statue was unveiled. Yeah. Okay. I'm all out. As a you. Okay. That's all we have for you today, listeners. We are part of Dueling Genre. You can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There you will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all Dueling Genre productions. We are on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsels Group. Our guests can be found... At notimeforheroics.com or on iTunes or on Stitcher or on Facebook at the No Time for Heroics Hall of Great Justice, where we talk a lot about superheroes and sometimes about not so superheroes. <laughs> Until next time, listeners, thank you for making us part of your world. <laughs>